Oh, friends, welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of July 10th. Oh, I love summer. I love summer. It just makes me so happy to say July. We are in July. And we have, I have a very special friend joining me on the podcast this week. But before I introduce him and tell you why he's here uh, and, and our history together, let's do what we always do. Let's take a moment and pause and just release everything about your day, everything about the week to God. Let's release it to Jesus so that we can find him and that we can kind of just come back to ourselves and therefore be more present to God coming for us in this podcast. So let's take a moment, Jesus, everyone, and everything I give to you. Everyone, everything. What do I need to let go of? And Jesus, oh, I pray for you. I pray you'd meet me here this week in this podcast. Speak to me. And most importantly, restore my union with you. In your name. Okay, so we don't often uh, have outside guests on the podcast, and there's a whole host of reasons for that that I can explain some other time, but from time to time, we do make exceptions. And I have a very dear friend coming to us uh, by technology this week from the East Coast, my friend Kevin McGee, who I met back, was it like 89, Kevin? It had to be in the 80s because we were still in the high school. Yeah, that's right. So Kevin was planting a church uh, just outside the Washington, D.C. Beltway area up in Maryland. And that I was, I was uh, working in D.C. Stacy and I moved to this little community in Maryland because of Kevin's church, because of Kevin and Ann and, and what they were doing there. And, uh, yeah, became fast friends and have tracked with each other over the years. So, Kev, how are you? It's so good to be with you. And, uh, you know, I know those years in D.C. were not your favorites, but Stacy has commented that she just loved, you know, that time. So it's so good to be yeah. with you now. And God has brought us both on a bit of a journey since then. Oh, my gosh, he has. Well, and your church and your friendship was a very redemptive part of those years. Yeah, D.C. was rough. It wasn't a good fit for my soul. Um, I actually had very rewarding work um, and very meaningful relationships. But, yeah, it was the it was what God was doing through this little—it was this tiny church that was beginning to grow and blossom and bloom largely through— New believers, new right. uh, new followers of Jesus coming in through the work of the church. It wasn't it wasn't a lot of transfers. This church was like almost purely grown from the from the bottom up. Here's why Kevin's here today. I'm gonna tell you a little about about what he does. Uh, deeply involved in global missions, uh, helping the strategy of global missions, and he can tell you a little bit about his work as we go along. But 
Back in the spring, early spring of this year, we were running a series just reflecting on what would we need to do to personally be ready if, if Christ were to return? And, and I'm not hiding the fact that I have a feeling, I have a hunch, I have some reasons to believe that it could be in our lifetime. It really could. This could be the generation that, that sees the return of Christ. And one of the reasons for that is that Matthew 24, 14 passage that says, you know, Jesus kind of gives an A plus B equals C. He says, in this gospel of the kingdom, we'll reach all people groups, and then I'm coming. You know, and it's not one, it's not a you know a seven-headed dragon. It's not like a vague prophecy that needs deep interpretation. It's a very straightforward thing. Uh, and so Kevin, Kevin reached out to me after that podcast series and said, "You know, John, that was a good series, but you're missing something. Tell me what yep. we're missing." So let me quote my favorite author, John Eldridge, who said, you know, if you woke up each morning and your heart leapt with hope, knowing that the renewal of all things was just around the corner, might even come today, you'd be one happy person. You know, that's from All Things New. And and I just wanted, you know, the listeners to know, I, I really think, well, in our ministry, we ask God every day for a gospel movement among every least reached people group in our generation. Because I think the signs are really pointing to the reality that we could get this done, that we could get the gospel to every people group in our generation. And I take Jesus at his word yeah. that if we do that, he's coming and I'm good with that. Like, I'm really good with that. It, it's not a vague promise. It's it's not, you know, who is the abomination and does the temple need to be rebuilt and all that. But you, do, you don't have to get into the weeds on this one. It's A plus B equals C. And this gospel, right, will reach right. all people groups, and then I'm coming. Uh, and, and the phenomenal thing is, is because of funding, because of uh, technology, because of, yeah, the global accessibility, uh, some really beautiful things are happening in the world. And Kev, yeah, just reached out to me and said, I think your people would be really encouraged to hear what's going on. So, Regale us, my friend. What are you well, seeing from your your chair? Well, let me just give you one example first, and then maybe we can back into my story a little further. But just one example. So the church in Asia, and most, most of the time today, I won't use specific countries, but like the church in Asia, Korea, especially Indonesia, they are mobilizing millions to pray. You know, we, we get excited if we get 10 people at a prayer meeting, but they are literally mobilizing millions to pray with the goal that in the next handful of years, everyone on the planet will be being prayed for in the name of Jesus by name. Which is not, it, it, that's not unthinkable. This is the first opportunity globally right, exactly. for that to happen. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so that, you know, that's just, that's just one example. And um, you know, we we both have this sense that it's like World War II, that um, we're getting closer to the end of the war, which means, you know, the forces of darkness escalate, but but we know the outcome. Like, we have a certainty about the outcome, yes. and that is that the gospel will go to every people group, um, and then the end will come. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin and I have both had a long— a shared passion for World War II history. Um, 
and I mostly for me, mostly in the European theater, uh, you know, I've read a lot. I've visited Normandy, you know, uh, of kind of the, the battle for Europe. But it was several years ago that Jesus uh, directed my attention to the battle in the South Pacific and and just how brutal things got towards the end of the war. And, and he, was, he was saying, John, you really need to understand wars don't end peacefully. They end violently. And I was just on a Zoom call last night with some therapist friends who were finishing up a conference uh, in deep, deep childhood trauma is what they were doing. That was the work they were doing in, for people. And he was, he was saying to me, he says, John, he says, we've seen some pretty horrendous stuff over the years, but nothing like we're seeing now. Like it really is worse if you didn't think it could be. And and he too was reflecting on that. He's like, my gosh, this is like Iwo Jima or like Okinawa. We really are approaching what feels like the escalation of the conflict. And it can feel like that has the most attention in the media, that has the most attention in people's minds of, oh gosh, the times are really hard. When in fact, God is moving powerfully in the world. And, and it was partly because you're longing for that. Um, you left a lifetime of pastoral work, and God called you into strategic mission work in the last you know, handful of years. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the story goes back to kind of what we would in our family call maybe the worst day of our lives. Um, and so nine years ago, uh, uh, dear family friends who are dear to you, John and Stacy as well, um, got a call that the homicide detectives needed to come and talk to them because their son, their youngest son, had sat down on the couch and woke up in the presence of Jesus and his roommates found him literally sitting up in the couch, but he was gone. And so um, we raced to the school where where the mom was there and um, as we left the school on the way to tell Jason as the young man's name who passed away at age 24, as we left the school to tell his brother that he was with Jesus, I screamed at God, why can't the church be serious about the Great Commission? Because of the verse that you quoted earlier, Matthew 24, 14, if we could get the gospel to every people group, Jesus would be back. As you talk about in all things new and obviously in the book of Revelation, when he comes back, not only will he restore all things, but there'll be no more tears or death or crying or pain. And so my, my heart was just crying for that day. Hit fast forward in my story, and about three years later, a very dear friend asked me to take a walk. And uh, on that walk, he asked me if I would leave my church to come join him to focus on the least reached of the least reached peoples of the world, and that's deaf people. Because in our church, over the 30 years since you were there, John, we one-fifth of the congregation has always been deaf. And the deaf people are the least everywhere. And uh, so as that conversation unfolded, there was a, a turning point where none of us will ever forget where I said, but, but my friend's name is Ivan. But Ivan, how can we do this without the churches? We don't have the churches with us. You know, missions is just an afterthought in most churches. And he and his colleague that were with him literally kicked me out of the room. And when I came back, I had a new job. And that was to build a team that would mobilize the church towards the least reached peoples of the world. And so God answered my heart cry by making it my job to get the church serious about the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. So I've really, truly dedicated the rest of 
the rest of my life to that. Um, I like to say I'm in the last quarter. A friend of mine said we're in the eighth inning, and I'm like, maybe that's a little too far along. But, but uh, yeah, so this is what I live for every day is to see the church mobilized to, to the nations. And really, really beautiful things are happening. They, they yeah. really are all over the world. In fact, it was when, when we were in the full lockdowns of 2020 and COVID was, you know, sweeping the world and people might remember uh, the Easter service, Andre Bocelli's online thing, you know, they showed the streets of Rome and Rome was empty. They showed the streets of Paris and Paris was empty. They showed New York, New York was empty. It was just this creepy global thing that was going on. And, and I was crying out to Jesus and saying, Lord, you, you need to move in this. You need to come for humanity. And, and he did two things. First, he said to me, he said, John, you're not losing this war. Mm. Amen. And, and, well, it kind of busted me because I, I, I'm like, really? Yes. We're not? Because it sure looks like we are, Lord. Uh, and, he, and then he showed me, he, he actually, I had, had an actual vision where Jesus was personally introducing himself to people all over the world right now. Like the, the real story is the story of God and the, and the story of his pursuit of, of his lost sons and daughters. And that is taking place in spades all over the world. Like you guys just got back from a, a trip to Africa to visit and uh, see the work of some of your missionaries in Togo. What's going on in Togo? Yeah, we had to see it for ourselves. You know, we, li we, we live in this tension where we see the love of many growing cold while the gospel is still spreading. So in the West, not so much, right? Yeah, Post-Christian, right. all, all that. But then, so here's this story. It's, um, I said to some folks when I told them this story, I've preached 2,000 sermons and told 10,000 stories, and this is my favorite one so far. So um, we have a, a beautiful group of young global workers. We call them global workers now because the word missionary can get you killed in a lot of places. So um, we can talk about that too. But we, we have these young global workers in Togo, which is the heart of darkness, voodoo, witch doctors, all that. It's the place where slavery in the United States came from. And, uh, and they were seeing no fruit in this one particular village. And uh, we have a team that prays for them regularly, but they felt they needed to do more. And so they, they came up with this idea of a virtual prayer walk where literally there's a guy in the back with a Toyota pickup truck over there in Togo saying, now I'm in front of the witch doctor's house. And then intercessors joined by a hundred people on a Zoom call almost are here praying their guts out for that witch doctor and then to the soccer field and then in front of the idols and so on. And, and, and so um, that was two years ago. And then that day, the first person, a young teen, teenage boy came to faith in Jesus. And over the next 30 days, about 30 people decided to follow Jesus, but the spiritual warfare ramps up that the kid, actually kid, 30 year old in the back of the, of the pickup truck finds a green mamba, a deadly snake in his bedroom, you know, and the forces of darkness are, are now counterattacking, so to speak. And so a second virtual prayer walk takes place where we pray protection and favor over each of the missionaries who were there. Next morning, 120 children show up in this little village church, and 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 basically from that point to this point, the gospel has exploded through the darkness. And on that that second prayer walk day, the leader of the work over there said he he really felt the 
kind of the seismic shift in the in the invisible places, you know. And I want you to talk more about that. But let me just finish um, the story because what we by the time we got there, um, over a thousand decisions for Jesus have happened. Dozens of churches have been planted, and the most powerful witch doctor in the area has become a follower of Jesus. And so, um, a year ago on Easter, we got this text from one of the missionaries to the other saying, we're going to be late for Easter lunch because we're still burning idols over here. And uh, I'm like, this is the greatest text in the history of text messaging, you know? And it's not and a this, metaphor. It's not, hey, you know. No, he you was know. literally burning his idols. From, you know, it took them an hour to gather them all up out of the house and in the roof and everywhere. That Over there, people worship idols for generation after generation. And, and so now a year later when we were there, that, that same man, his name is Django, um, was leading prayer in his local church. And some of the other witch doctors in the villages nearby have asked for our church planters, you know, that they're Togolese, not Americans, Togolese to come to them because they realize a power greater than their power has now arrived. And we know who that is. Yes. It's so beautiful. It's And, and to sit where you're sitting, you know, among kind of the strategic global missions community in the world, the conversations you have, the workshops that you go to, there's some really good stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, there's, well, let's talk about the bad news a little bit. You know, there's more unbelievers on the earth today than ever before, because in the places where the gospel hasn't gone, they tend to actually have a lot of kids. Not, I mean, that's a good thing because eventually they will, they will hear of, of Jesus. And again, the love, love grows cold and persecution is actually amping up. You know, um, I, I remember the first time I met our workers in a in a Central Asian country, we'll just leave it there. And they told me in their discipleship manual, lesson three is escape and evasion techniques. You know, you and I went through a discipleship manual back in the high school, you know, 35 years ago. We didn't have that in there, um, you know, but quiet time, Bible study. We yes. didn't have that, you know. Yeah, escape and evasion techniques. Yeah. How to yeah. jump out of a third story window into a trash bin. Literally, like how, well, second story window, or you only meet in rooms that have multiple exits. So if the bad guys come in the front door, you can go out the side doors and the back door, that kind of stuff. And, and when I had this conversation with this, with this couple who are native to that, to that land, I, uh, I, I was taken to Hebrews, like the world is not worthy of these people who, who risk their lives every day. I was talking to another friend from a large organization that, that works with indigenous pastors to, to, to see movements happen. By the way, there's over 2,000 gospel movements happening in the world today. And, and I was asking him, because we have some interest in one of the countries that ends with Stan in their name. And, uh, and I was asking him if he had any workers there. And he said, well, we used to, but they've all been killed, but the church is, is advancing. Yes. It was very sobering. Yeah. Well, I think it was Chesterton who said, in the end, there's only been Christianity and paganism. Everything else was a sideshow. The modern post-Enlightenment era that most of us have lived through is not the reality of human history, and it's not the reality of most of the world. And so this collision of the kingdoms, both the persecution, the falling away— the love growing cold and the radical advance of the gospel. This this is the gospel story, and it is right. it is manifesting itself in many many places in the world. And one, we wanted to encourage our listeners. Hey, guess what? This is really happening. And to talk a little bit about why it's happening, 
and the power of prayer in these global movements. Let me back up, though, just a little bit to a little bit more good news, because I think we've overweighted the bad news. Okay. So, so, so let me just back up a little bit. So, you know, uh, I went to the Naval Academy, I, and I have friends who are four-star admirals. I've studied leadership my whole life. And I can tell you that I, I'm bumping into some of the finest leaders I've ever known in this missions world. And, and you're not going to know their names because they're the behind the scenes, you know, kind of folks. But and they're serious people with serious resources that have made it their life goal to see the Great Commission filled in our lifetime. And so, you know, billionaires investing in Bible translation work. We're, we're going to have next year for the first time ever um, a, a movie all done in sign language for the life of Jesus, right? And so I think it'll be the most powerful tool for evangelism of deaf people that's ever been created. And and the Bible by 2033 is going to be translated into so many more languages. In fact, we think every major language that it will need to be in, they're using artificial intelligence now to accelerate Bible translation. You know, so artificial intelligence isn't just that scary thing that the enemy can use, you know, um, God's people can use that too. And, um, We've already mentioned like the millions of praying, but there's this collaboration, unprecedented really collaboration in the missions world. So there's an acrostic achieve a church in every village everywhere. People are making serious plans, just like Eisenhower planned Normandy. These people are making serious plans to get a, a church in every village in India, for instance, which has the largest concentration of unreached people groups. And, you know, I could go on and on, but there's there's an awful lot happening that makes it realistic to think. You know, if, I mean, if the church in the West would wake up for this, we could get it done really fast. But our, our partners in the global South are outperforming us. You know, Brazil and Korea and everywhere, they're sending missionaries at an incredible pace. Filipinos are in every palace in the Middle East sharing the love of Jesus. So um, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's really cool. What's cool. Happening. It's really cool. Some of our listeners have heard me tell uh, this story uh but I'm not sure that you and I have ever talked about it, Kev. When Stace and I came to Christ, so you, you've seen the Jesus Revolution movie, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Been, sort of was a part of it, right? Yeah, right. We were. Like, that, like many of us, many of our peer group came to Christ during that movement. The people that led me to faith were on their way to Dallas. The scene at the end with the big stadium, Explo 72, that they stopped in western Pennsylvania on the way. And <laughs> There you go. Okay. So— um, after we came to Christ, we, unbeknownst to each other, Stacy and I began to have a dream. We would have the same dream every year. And we didn't know that the other one was having the same dream until about 10 years into our marriage. And I said, "Hun, I had this really wild dream. And she's like, wait, what? And the dream goes like this. We are standing on uh, the coast somewhere in the world, unrecognizable location, looking out to sea when an enormous wave begins to build in the distance. And, it, and it's coming, and it's building, and it's coming. And then it finally reaches proportions that are way beyond the physics of waves. Like, this is clearly something supernatural. It looks like the hand of God. And, and there's this initial thing of, whoa, we better get to some high ground. And, and then there's the realization of, oh, you, there's no outrunning this. It's just coming. So Stacy and I actually have had that vision every single year since we came to Christ. And first it was in actual dreams, like bedtime dreams. And then now many, many times in 
waking moments, prayer meetings. And so, Kev, here's what I wanted to fill you in on. So I had that vision again this weekend as I was praying. Mm. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't asking Jesus to see the wave. We just call it the wave. But he showed it to me, and he said, take a close look. And I looked, and as the wave was coming, it was people. It was very weird at first because you expect gorgeous, ocean, green, beautiful, you know. And instead, the wave is filled with human faces. It is people. It, it, is, the, it is the move of God on the earth. And what he has had us do, it took us a long time to finally ask the question, why are you showing us this? And his answer was, invoke it. Pray for it. Amen. Yeah. And so we've been doing that personally uh, in our prayers quite a bit. We've been doing it corporately. Uh, We do it sometimes at our events. We invite everybody to join in and pray for that very thing. Lord, we pray for the the wave of God over the world to every heart that is yet to be rescued. We actually did talk about it one time a couple of years ago because I felt like I was on a wave. We, we see this moment, even my own team was didn't exist five years ago. Now there's 20 of us, nine on the deaf side, 11 on the church side. It's like, I told you, I, it's happening way, way beyond what I would expect based on my limited level of leadership, right? I mean, God's doing stuff way more than, than we would expect. And so um, what, I, what I've been seeing, the, I'm going to connect the dots a little, is that I think people are learning to pray. Like I love the Wild at Heart resource. Like you always say, the, the, the most important page on the website is the prayers. But like for me, what I'm telling pastors now, because I travel the country and get to talk to pastors, is I would encourage them to do two things. One is get your people around these incredible heroic global workers because it rubs off, you know, when you're, um, there's, there's a young couple that's leaving for, for a, a hard place in Asia. And, and I was talking to the husband and I said, what's your wife doing? And he said, well, she's back home selling all of our stuff to members in the church who are letting us keep it until we leave. And I'm like, selling everything you have to follow Jesus. I read that somewhere, right? You know, yeah. like, so, so being around people like that is inspiring. And it's also very convicting when we live in our kind of idol of comfort, American Christianity place, you know. But then being around intercessors. Like I'm 66 years old and I think I'm finally learning to pray, yeah. right? Because God has raised up these intercessors and I get to hang out with them on these, you know, prayer calls. We want to invite people if you want to join us and like pray for, pray for the global wave as, as you're describing it. But just show up on the call. Even if you're never going to voice something out loud, you'll be with the intercessors who will and learn how to pray. Um, I just think that's, that's a gift. I mean, it's a gift that we get to learn how to pray and really see, see things change. It is. It is. And, and so here's how some of my prayers have been growing and developing one of the untold stories of Wild at Heart. So we get feedback from people every week, letters, emails, uh, social media posts uh, on our Facebook page, et cetera. And the stories of people coming to Christ through our work are some of our gladdest stories. Like, like there's a whole range of stories and healing and redemption and marriages and kids and all kinds of beautiful things. When somebody writes in and says, hey, I just met Jesus because of you guys, like that particularly thrills me. And 
So what I began to pray was, Jesus, I pray for every heart that you have given us to reach in the world. David says, the boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Like everybody gets a jurisdiction, everybody gets a kingdom, everybody gets a, a scope to their work. And, and that scope may be your soccer team. That scope may be all of the hearts in your extended family. That, uh, But for most believers, their scope actually is bigger than they know. And right. so to begin to pray, Lord, I pray for every heart that you have given me to reach in my life is a really beautiful prayer because there Absolutely. are, yeah, there are folks that you're going to run into, folks that are in your world, folks you haven't met yet that are actually divine appointments for you. I pray for every heart that you have given me. And then, yeah, invoking, invoking the outpouring of the revelation of Jesus in the world has just become staple for us in, in our prayers. You know, one of the things that you have championed that I've certainly learned and grown from is listening. And, you know, one of one of our passages that we really built, actually built our team around is Ephesians 2.10. Most people know eight and nine because you can use them as great ways to, to share salvation. It's by grace we're saved through faith, not the result of works. But there, then the works come, right? We're God's workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus to do good work that he has prepared in advance, literally that we might walk into them. Uh, learning to ask for ourselves and then learning to ask for our church, learning to ask for our global workers even, what is that work that God has prepared in advance? And then pray into that, okay, if you've prepared it, you know, we want we want to invite you to use us into it and and let's just do that thing. Yes. And 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 so we're seeing churches actually find their hearts very much similar to how an individual's heart is renewed. We're seeing churches have the Holy Spirit bring life back into them as they discover the important work. You know, you might be a small church in the middle of wherever, but if God's prepared important work in advance for you to do, all of a sudden we have a very different agenda than just showing up on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. First Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, he says, Therefore now you lack no spiritual gift, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus to return, God will keep you strong to the end. And then I love this passage, for he has called you into partnership with his son, Jesus, right? Like I was just chatting with a friend on the phone this morning and she was, she's crying out to God, what is it you want me to do? What is, what is my partnership with you? I want to partner with you in this hour. And, and not just be a spectator in that. Yeah. And so we talk on our team about how we get to do this as opposed to we have, to, like, this is not some duty thing. This is like this privilege thing that we've been invited into. You know, I haven't quoted yet my favorite verse, so I need to do it now. See, Second Peter 3, Peter is talking about making all things new. He, he talks in stark contrast, you know, first everything's going to get burned up, you know, and, and then, and then all, the all things new. But in that passage, he asked the question, what kind of people should you be? And he says, we should live holy and godly lives as we look forward to the day of God. And here's the punchline and speed it's coming. And, and I don't know exactly how that works, you know, cause God is sovereign and he's got a schedule and all of that. But if he says I can speed, it's coming. I'm like, sign me up for that, right? Big and so, time. Big time. So again, dedicating the rest of my life to speed the day when he comes 
and that means gospel to every people group. And so we, we, you know, we just want to pray for that and, and do whatever, yeah, you know, whatever it takes. Yeah. And then Kev, just to shift the conversation for a moment while I have you here, because what you built, the church that you planted and grew and grew and grew and grew, it was one of the most unique things I had seen because it was almost purely based on evangelism versus, oh, well, you know, folks down the street just found a, a better church or something closer to home. There was very little migration growth uh, into your church. It was almost all purely evangelism. What, what I want is just to give you a moment to encourage people of the, the opportunities they have within their current relational networks to share Jesus right here. Like, they don't have to go to Togo. Right on. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think we, I think we make it harder than it is. We, we think we have to know way more than we know. So um, I just over the weekend was speaking to, to um, some congregations and uh, we talked about what I call the power of a napkin. So I'll just, let me illustrate with a story. I love stories. So I had a guy come to the church back. You might've even known him probably about the same time. And he's I, in some sermon, I said, I like waffles. So he comes up to me after the service because he's all excited that there's a new diner in town. And he's like, let's go get waffles. So I'm like, right on, let's go get waffles. I knew he wasn't a follower of Jesus yet. They bring the waffles and they're completely undercooked. They're like nasty. So we send them back. And in the time that they recooked the waffles, he decided to follow Jesus. And here's all I did. I took a napkin and I wrote three words on it, grace and faith and works. His name is Frank. And I said, Frank, God already loves you, right? And so all you have to do is respond and then the works will come. You know, he was from kind of a nominal Catholic background that didn't really teach him much about Jesus. Then I turned the napkin upside down and said, most people think if you do the right things and believe the right things, works plus faith, maybe God will accept you. I said, no, that's upside down. Turn the napkin back around. And I mean, it was just so simple. And hundreds of times since then, I've done the same thing with people to just say, look, he already loves you. You just need to respond. Yes, exactly. It's just not that hard. You know, it's just not that hard. Yeah, I have a dear friend who's a fabulously effective uh, missionary in South America. And one of the things she does is she asks people, what's your name? You know, oh, my name is uh, Jose or Juan, you know, and then she knows what those names mean uh, mm. at the biblical meeting of those names. She goes, oh, did you, did you know that your name means God's precious son? And they go, what? I'd never heard that. And then she uses that as the entree to, well, you really are. You are loved. And uh, so this weekend, I've got a fun story from this weekend. So do you, by the way. But um, I don't think this neighbor listens to the podcast. But if you do, you know that I adore you. We're sitting on our uh, porch of our cabin up in the mountains in Colorado. We have, a, we have a little cabin out in the middle of nowhere and you can't even get into it in the winter because the snow is too deep. And so I go up every May to begin to clean things out so we can enjoy it in the summer. So it's kind of our summer getaway. Anyway, I was sitting with a neighbor who I've been praying for for years. And we were talking about hunting and it led to a moose hunt that he was on. And then I'd, I'd like, well, I'm going to tell you a story. I said, I was on a moose hunt myself. We were bow hunting moose in the, in the Yukon a number of years ago. It's a 10-day hunt. It was day seven. We woke up and it was pouring rain. And I really, really wanted to 
uh, use a bow to harvest a moose. It was kind of a lifetime goal. And I woke up that morning and God said, John, you need to take your rifle. Now, you know, telling the story to an unbeliever. And he kind of looks at me, he's like, he's like, Moses? I'm like, well, I, I, I like, yeah, he poked me. He said, you need to take your rifle. And I was so disappointed. And I argued with him because I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to use my bow. And he's like, you need to take your rifle. And the story goes on that on out on that hunt, the moose that we came across that day was over on the other side of a beaver pond. It was way beyond archery distance. Like a bow could never have done that. And so I was able to, to take that moose, but in a context that was just like so God and so under his covering. And he was profoundly moved by that story. And it was just a very natural opportunity. We're chatting about hunting. I can now tell you a true story about God speaking to me in that. And, and then he shared a story. Uh, he said, I think God may have spoken to me uh, once in my life. And, and he tells a story that saved his life. And I said, yeah, that's the real deal. Yeah, that was God speaking to you. And so here was just this beautiful, natural opportunity for a guy I've been praying for for years to get God back onto the table. Yeah. You know, and across the world, this concept of discovery Bible study is proving to be more fruitful than our some of our old sort of proclamational. It's not that we shouldn't proclaim the gospel, but just inviting somebody to say, hey, would you ever want to just like re read this with me, you know, and, yeah. and, and those kinds of stories. And it's, we're, we're doing that here in our own neighborhood. we got, got lots of stories there. You know, one thing about who's in your neighborhood that I, um, I think is worth mentioning is that at, at no time in human history have so many people been displaced. And so in your neighborhood might very well be one of these unreached peoples like there are deaf people from Bhutan in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, yes. you know? And so it's like in your neighborhood, yes. you might have opportunity to actually share with somebody from another place where they've come here just so they can meet Jesus. Like that's why God brought them, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we want to be, be att attentive to those opportunities. Yep. So here's another way I've been praying. Um, I was reading through 2 Corinthians a few years ago, and Paul talks about how the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then he also uses the expression that, that it, he has veiled their hearts. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Hang on. If that's his basic strategy, then I can pray the opposite for the people in my family and the people that I love that I'm trying to reach— I pray that you would remove the blinders from their minds and that you would remove the veil from their hearts. And so, again, as a team, we began to pray, and we were particularly doing this during COVID when we couldn't get back out to our live events, we couldn't travel, we couldn't do you know, some of that work. We were, we were sitting in our, in our offices right here praying, Lord, unveil every heart to the revelation of Jesus, that they may see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Unveil, remove the veils from their hearts, remove the blinders. And so that's how I'm praying for family. That's how I'm praying for neighbors. And, and that's how we're praying uh, for our global work. And this is happening all over the world, all over the world, every day. So yeah, Kevin, I do, we share a couple convictions. We do feel like we are near the end of the war, and that's why you, you're seeing all the dark stories. 
uh, and all the weird stuff and all that. Yep, we see it too, but we also see God moving very powerfully right now in the world. Many, many, many people coming to faith in Jesus, even as the love of many grows cold, like both both things, right, both, both yes. things are happening. And in some of the hardest places, Iran, North Korea, I mean, you know, we're, we're not able to send Americans, but we don't have to because the church is bigger than what we often think yes, of. Yes, totally. Yeah. Um, so you talked about uh, joining prayer groups for for global work. That's um, that's something anybody can can call into. Yeah, absolutely. So we we set up a little thing. If you text the word "unreached" to six six eight six six, and we can put this on the on the page there for people. Yeah, to we'll get put this in it. the show notes. Yeah, we'd lo- we'd love so unreached to six six eight six six. We can we can send you a link um, to, if you'd like to join a global prayer network, or we have you know we've talked about how to help churches become more more fruitful in their global efforts. You know, if there's anything we can do to serve anybody who's listening, obviously that's what we're all about. But I would encourage people to talk to their own local pastor, find out who the missionaries are in your own church, pray for them. Even ask your pastor, hey, who are the intercessors around here? Could could I go meet them and could I learn from them? You know, again, that I don't feel like I have a profound gift of intercession, but I feel like learning from intercessors is one of the smartest things I can possibly do at any stage of my life. Yep, that's really beautiful. And and intercession is the secret to Wild at Heart, uh, to what's been ransomed hard over the years. The, the The global impact that we're having is because we have people praying for us and for that impact. That's the secret there. So, yeah. Oh, so what's on the horizon for you, Kev? What's next? What's, what's coming up? Well, I go to Albania in a few weeks. Um, so that'll be exciting. We, one of the joys of my life is to just get to be an encouragement to these heroes who are out there every day in hard places, you know, working with Albanian refugees in Macedonia kind of people, you know? And yes. I, I can tell you, by the way, the T-Mobile actually works really well. Two UN checkpoints south of Beirut. Like, it's so cool, you know? Um, so, so, so to get to be with, with them is just a, a joy, you know? Um, we're often twice the age almost of some of the workers and so just to get to pour into them, that's joy. But then honestly, to see churches coming alive, that's, that's huge for us. And the last thing I'll just say is the most surprising thing maybe is that, um, and it's been a long time coming, there is a profound movement of the spirit towards the deaf everywhere. And so, you know, hanging out with a, a, a deaf leader from Hong Kong, from Norway, from, uh, Tanzania, they're all part of this coalition that, that we get to have some influence with and uh, plus some amazing leaders here in America. You know, the, the church in America has looked on like those poor deaf people rather than look at these potential disciple makers and, and that's starting to change. So, yeah, that's I mean, so that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Let's pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray first and and then I'll pray. Sure. What What do you want to pray? What's on your heart? Well, I'll just pray. Lord, I, I just want to pray for the listeners, God, that you, by your spirit, would give them hope. I specifically want to pray that you would open our eyes to what the scriptures are clear about, and that's that there is a day that is coming when death will be no more. And Jesus, you are worthy to be worshipped by everyone to whom you have given breath. 
And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are the Lord. And one day there will be this grand reunion in heaven with people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. So God, I pray that you would infuse a vision of that into the heart of everyone who's listening to this podcast. I pray that you would help us to see that that day is not far off. And then, Lord, would you teach us to listen and ask, what is the important work that you've prepared in advance for me to do? And Jesus, as you show us that, we want to promise that we will obey. That we will do those things that you've prepared. Mm. Thank you, Jesus, that, that we get to do this. Thank you that you've loved us enough to include us in your plans to bring the good news of the kingdom across this globe. We just love you and we pray this in your name. We do love you. We do, Lord. We love you. We just take a moment to love you, Jesus. You are so beautiful in what you are doing in our lives and what you are doing around the world. Lord, I want to pray um, in the first person for everyone listening. Show me the people in my current world that you want me to begin praying for. And show me, Lord, those opportunities when they come up to just very naturally ask them how they're doing, ask them about their spiritual life, to tell them how deeply loved they are. Uh, Show me. Lord, show me, and show me how to partner with you in prayer for your work in the world as a, as a body of your, of your disciples right now, this very day, we invoke that wave. We invoke mm-hmm. the outpouring of the coming of Jesus, the outpouring of the revelation of Jesus to every heart, and that you would unveil their hearts, Lord, Remove the blinders from their minds that they may see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus. We pray for that. We pray for the outpouring of the revelation of Jesus in the world. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kevin, thanks for coming on. What a treat uh, to do this across the country with you today. And we love you and Anne. Thanks for uh, being our pastors at one point in our lives and then being our friends for 40 years. We're really grateful. Well, give my love to Stacy too. Give her a big, huge hug. I'll we do miss it. You guys. I'll do yeah, it. Miss you guys. Okay. Hope to see you again soon. Yeah.